So I have a, I have a, um, I have a news item to share, kind of, you know, one of those break the ice news items. I don't, I don't know how many of you saw it. It was on boingboing.net, if any of you read that. Um, uh, all right. Nobody. All right. Well, it's a good website sometimes. So um, it's the story about the Atheist Shoes, the Atheist Shoe Company. Did you hear the story about the Atheist Shoe Company? Um, uh, there is a company in Berlin, Germany, that, that is um, uh, an atheist shoe company. And they make atheist shoes. And uh, you, most of us probably didn't realize that we had religious shoes. But if you want atheist shoes, you can get them from atheistberlin.com. So uh, you can go there, and they've got they've got a they've got a thing there on their website explaining what their problem was, because uh, apparently they were the victims of a vast conspiracy by the U.S. Postal Service to not deliver atheist shoe packages properly. And and here's what they what they figured out: they had been in the habit of putting tape on the you know sealing their packages with special tape they had that said atheist. And what was happening is they thought that there was a disproportionate number of packages going missing. So they did an experiment. They sent, um, what, 178 packages to people scattered across 49 states. My guess is not Alaska because the shipping's too high. But they sent them to 48 states and um, they compared two, two packages to each at each house, each address, um, one had the atheist tape and one just had plain neutral tape on it. So what they discovered is that the the packages with the um, the atheist tape had uh, an average of three days longer in transit than the than the packages without. And uh, one package without atheist tape disappeared, but nine packages with atheist tape disappeared. So they they believe that there is a, a real problem in the postal service. And, and maybe there is. I don't know. That's something for them to sort out with the Postal Service. But, you know, coming from my position as, as a man of the cloth, uh, I have another solution that probably didn't occur to atheistberlin.com. And that is that God's involved. I mean, that's what I would do if I was God. Right? <laughs> if I was God, I would be messing with their heads. I would be making packages just disappear in transit. They would be, you know, mailing them out but they wouldn't arrive. Or maybe they'd like say, wait a minute, what's this package doing here in the loading dock? I thought we mailed this yesterday. And they did. But it just got back. Or maybe they arrive in Australia or something. So I would just be messing with their heads because that's the kind of person I am. I'm not a very nice person. It's a good thing that I'm not God. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but but who knows? We're, we're going to uh, celebrate today. We are celebrating Easter, which is, which is th- really the the story of a, of an item that that wasn't where it was supposed to be the item was Jesus's body and the problem was bodies are supposed to stay where you put them it wasn't a case of being lost in transit it was being lost in non-transit so Jesus's body was supposed to stay in the grave and uh the women who went there that morning were expecting it to stay in the grave but it didn't when they got to the when they got to the tomb they found that the stone had been rolled away and the body was missing. So uh, that's what we're going to be, t- be talking about. But there's there's a, a kind of, we have to step back a moment first and say, why do we care? Because if the only difference that Easter makes is to those women at the tomb 2,000 years ago, then really it's just kind of a curiosity, right? It's just like the story about the atheist shoes. 
you know, okay, that's interesting. You know, I learned something new today, but so what? The, the question for us is, does Easter matter to us? Does, does Easter matter to us today, 2,000 years after the event? Does Easter matter? Because if Easter doesn't matter to me, so what? If Easter doesn't affect my life, um, if Easter doesn't affect my job, my finances, if Easter doesn't affect some part of my life, maybe my relationships or my health, maybe my sexuality or my addictions, if Easter doesn't make a difference for me, then it's just a curiosity in a book. So what? Well, you can guess my answer is it does matter. Easter changes everything. Easter is the most important event that has ever happened or ever will happen. And I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes trying to to show you how. But if you have to get up early, if you have to leave early or something, I'll tell you the, the quick version. The reason is that Easter, Easter shows that Jesus is who he said he was and can do all the things he said he could do. Easter validates all the other promises that Jesus made. So uh, Jesus talked a whole lot about a lot of things but anybody can talk. But Easter is how we know what Jesus said is not just talk. Easter is how we know that Jesus was actually capable of fulfilling his promises. So we're going to look at this uh, passage today from the very end of uh, uh, Luke's gospel. Pardon me. There are uh, four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to read the one written by anyone, anyone, Luke. All right. We got some, we got Bible scholars here today. Okay. So we're reading from, from Luke's biography of Jesus. Um, chapter 24, it says on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the women. Uh, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. I need to check. Am I somehow the translation? The women. All right, I'm going to read this one so because um, it matches the one in your bulletin. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So the the if you if you go back and read the previous chapter, uh, what had happened is there had been a bunch of women who were uh, standing off to the in the distance watching Jesus as he was crucified. So they saw Jesus die and they saw where Jesus was buried but the funeral preparations, the burial preparations had not been done according to the custom. They had, they had really kind of rushed the burial of Jesus. The reason was Jesus died near sundown and they wanted to make sure that the body was prepared properly because there was kind of a rush job on Friday uh, in order to be done before the Jewish Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So they, they rested all day, um, on, uh, from Friday night until Saturday night. And then the women prepared these spices and they took them to the tomb early Sunday morning so that they could um, uh, uh, finish the, the burial preparations for Jesus. What, the, way that the, the way that that culture buried people is they would, they would wrap the body with a bunch of cloth and they'd be putting in uh, these aromatic spices. And the reason was just to hold down the smell of decomposition. So they went there because they wanted that to be uh, for Jesus and they didn't want him just uh, lying there decomposing. So they have gone to the tomb. They know Jesus is dead. They've gone to the work of preparing, uh, this, the, the, preparing to complete the funeral. And, uh, they get there and they find the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. Um, and when they entered, 
they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So while they're they're standing there wondering where did Jesus go, uh, you know, we saw we were here Friday, we saw him die, we saw the body put in this tomb, and we came here expecting him to be here, but he's not. So where is he? And then these two fellows show up uh, with the uh, clothes that gleamed like lightning, dazzling clothing. Clothing. Um, that's uh, almost certainly a clue that these are. These are celestial visitors. They're angels of some kind. He doesn't say so, uh, and we kind of can can gloss over that because we have you know all temperature detergent that gets your clothes dazzling white. They didn't in those days, so for them, uh, dazzling clothes is probably a marker that these are visitors from God. But whoever they are, they know where Jesus is, and they say, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead?" Well, that's kind of a dumb question. The women are not looking for the living. They're looking for the dead. They know Jesus is dead. They saw him die. They came here looking for the dead. But these two visitors, these two men, they say, they say, uh, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So uh, that's where we get our phrase, he is risen, he is risen indeed, from these two visitors who told the women that Jesus had risen. And that's that's kind of where the story goes. Now, Jesus doesn't stay lost. If you read the rest of the chapter, there's about a page left in Luke's uh, uh, biography. If you read the rest of the chapter, you see Jesus appears um, on the road uh, to a town called Damascus, a few miles, I mean, uh, 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 Emmaus, a few miles away. Now, uh, that doesn't sound as bad as it might, you know, if you think roadkill. Jesus is not a body laying in the road. Jesus is walking down the road. He talks to some people. He ends up being invited to their inn and they have a meal together. So Jesus is alive. And in fact, all of the biographies record how Jesus was alive. Jesus keeps popping in and there, here and there. He shows up with people. And and so lots of people see him. And um, in some of the other parts of the Bible, there's letters from early church leaders. And they say how Jesus appeared to them. And in fact, in one, one occurrence, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. So Jesus isn't lost. He's just not where he is expected to be. So Jesus is missing. And they say, they say, he's risen. And then they say the thing that makes this the most important, the most important part of the story. The, the reason that Luke lingers here, instead of going straight to the risen Jesus and telling us the story about the road and all the other things, he lingers here because of what these two visitors say. They say, remember, remember, it says, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, must be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The, these two visitors, these angels, men, whoever they are, they say, remember. Remember how he told you. See, the, these women have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Uh, he began his ministry up in, a, up in the northern part of the country, a place called Galilee, and he, he, said these things all along, and nobody had really been able to make sense of it. The people who had been with him, they could see that Jesus was was a man of God, that Jesus taught new things about God, and, and God gave him the power to heal people and do miracles. And so when Jesus would say that he was going to be handed over to sinners, uh, they'd go, you know, I don't know, that'll make sense to me someday, but it doesn't make any sense today. He'd say he was going to be crucified. That was a, a, a form of execution reserved for the worst people, they thought, well, whatever he's talking about, it's not him. And then being raised again, they didn't make any sense of it. So they just kind of filed it away. 
And the, these two visitors say, remember how he told you all this? And the pieces come together and they say, oh, I do remember it. So the, the, the these women, they remember. And then they go back and they tell the others. But the reason that the, uh, what, what I want to talk about is why the angels, the visitors, whoever they are, uh, why they said to remember. And the reason that they said to remember is because this was the most important promise Jesus made. It's the hardest promise Jesus made, right? It's one thing to, to, I mean, you know, uh, if, if you've got a broken leg, Jesus can heal that. Okay, that's great. He drew crowds because he was healing people. Uh, he walked on water. He did all kinds of really cool stuff, but he did that when he was alive. But this is the miracle he did when he was dead. Okay, and if dead men don't tell tales, they certainly don't do miracles. So Jesus says, I'm going to do something that has never been done. I haven't done this miracle before. Nobody has ever done this miracle. Nobody has ever raised themselves from the dead. It's one thing. And you can, you know, you hear stories, you know, I was on the operating table. I spent three minutes dead or whatever. You hear stories about being raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus wasn't dead three minutes on an operating table. Jesus was dead three days in a hole in the ground. But still, nobody else raised him. He did it himself. So Jesus said, I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to be handed over to sinners. I'm going to be beaten and flogged and nailed to a tree. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be stuffed in a hole in the ground. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. That is the most important promise Jesus made. And the reason it's the most important promise is it's the hardest. See, Jesus said all kinds of things. When he was talking to those women back in Galilee and all the other people who listened to him, Jesus talked about two things. He talked about the kingdom of God, and he talked about how you could get in it. The kingdom of God is this idea that if you look around the world, you say, this place is a mess. Okay, there's there's hunger and violence, there's wars, there's there's um invasions there's there's general unhappiness there's misery of all kinds there's from from personal tragedies up to great international crises if you look around you see the world's a mess and to say wouldn't it be great if god ran the world or if god ran the world the way god should run the world that's the idea of the kingdom of god if god ran things then that's the kingdom of god but that's not a new concept jesus when he started talking about the kingdom of god that wasn't new at all all the all the Jewish uh, uh, prophets had always talked about the kingdom of God. We read a, we read an example in the passage from uh, the prophet Isaiah. Um, uh, Isaiah said he talked about the kingdom of God. He said he said he was going to create new heavens and new earth. Um, the word new here means renewed. It means um, a rebuilt. Um, I've got a new car because I've rebuilt every part of it. Okay, um, that's that's the kind of new heaven and new earth God is talking about. He says, remember um, and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard. No more shall there be an infant that lives just a few days. You can imagine in an era where there was huge infant mortality, what a great promise that would be for people. He says, no more will um, uh, one who dies at a 100 years will be considered a youth. Um, people will live. They will live to ripe old ages. Um, they will they will not build in another inhabit. Israel was a small country surrounded by big countries. Routinely, all through their history, uh, invading people would come in and and conquer the country and take away everything valuable. Th- this promise in the day, this future that that Isaiah looked forward to, he said 
He said, um, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. He's saying, he's saying, the day is coming when God will truly run the world. But see, Jesus said something else. Jesus said something different. The reason that Jesus' sermons were electrifying is Jesus said, that day, you can have that now. See, all the older prophets had said, that's pie in the sky. That's going to happen someday. Someday, God's going to sort everything out and it'll all be wonderful down here. But Jesus said, you can have that today. He said at the very beginning of his ministry, he said it all the way through his ministry, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. So Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, but he talked about it in a new way. That was one thing Jesus did. The other thing he did is he said how you could have the kingdom of God, how you could be part of the kingdom of God. And what he said is you can't. He said, there's no no way you can get into the kingdom of God. There is no way that you can do something that will work your way into the kingdom of God. He said, the problem with humanity is we have become disconnected from God. We have become disconnected from God. So all of the good things that flow from a relationship with God are lost to us. That connection has been broken and there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can earn that back. So he said, somebody has to reconnect you. Jesus said, I'm going to reconnect you. He said, I'm going to reconnect you so you can have the kingdom of God, not as some distant future reality, but as something right here, right now that you're experiencing in your life. I'm going to reconnect you. And the way he said he would do that was the Son of Man would be handed over to sinful men, would be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Jesus said, all these other promises hinge on this one thing I'm going to do. Every promise I've made about the kingdom of God and how you can have it today depends on this other promise that I will reconnect you to God. So Jesus kept his promise. The reason the angel The reason the writer records the angel is because he wants us to linger there and remember, to remember that Jesus has reconnected us to God. Jesus keeps his promise. Would you like to live in the kingdom of God? Would you like to have a better life? We're going to spend the next six weeks looking at what that means. Jesus taught a whole lot about the kingdom of God. We're going to spend the next six weeks talking about what that actually means in a practical practical reality. But what it means, the short answer is it means a better life. It means to be more like Jesus. It means to be more loving, more forgiving, more generous, more courageous. It means to have more peace in our lives. It means to have more joy. Jesus promises that we can have that. We can have life in the kingdom of God. And the way we know that we can trust that promise is he made an even greater promise. He promised He would rise from the dead. And on Easter, we remember that Jesus keeps his promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.